Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is going to be kind of a unique series of episodes. A friend of mine, Scott Ellis, who is a uh, turkey calling champion, he's won the head-to-head uh, several times at the Grand Nationals. Uh, he's won a bunch of turkey calling titles uh, and is known as one of the best uh, turkey callers of all time. Uh, has started a Facebook group uh, called Turkey Callers of America. There's over 11,000 members, and this is a perfect place if you're uh, learning how to turkey hunt and you want to learn from the pros, learn from the guys that really know what they're doing, uh, get a lot of good Facebook interaction videos, pictures. Uh, there's over 11,000 members, including uh, some of the the biggest names in the turkey hunting industry. And uh, I'm talking about the guys that are, you know, world-class turkey callers and, uh, you know, just avid, avid turkey hunters. So what a great place to learn. Uh, and th- they've been doing some Facebook Live uh, videos uh, where they're answering uh, listeners' questions on the Facebook, the Turkey Callers of America Facebook group. And uh, what they've allowed me to do is to have the audio from those Facebook Live uh, sessions. And I'm going to bring you here a series uh, of, you know, I mean, the best turkey callers uh, in the country, old and new, uh, some of the older guys, uh, some of the guys, the up and comers. Uh, and uh, you can really, really learn from these guys. And uh, this first episode is going to be with uh, Billy Yargus. And Billy Yargus, uh, in my mind, has one of the best yelps of a, of a turkey uh, that, that I've ever heard. And he has won the Grand National several times. Uh, he's won a bunch of other turkey calling uh, uh, contests. I've also had him live on the podcast in, in episodes last year. And uh, I'm going to be seeing uh, all the guys here in a couple days at NWTF convention in Nashville. And I want to encourage you guys, if you're listening and you're going to be at NWTF, uh, make sure to send me a email or a text or a Instagram message. Uh, I'd love to meet up with you. I've already got plans to meet up with several of you that have already contacted me. Uh, but I, I want to encourage you guys, if you're a turkey hunter, uh, old or new, uh, you know, listen to the pros. Listen to these guys, and you're going to get a lot out of it. I'm going to be featuring... Uh, audio, and they're basically, you know, around an hour long, but they're answering all kinds of questions from listeners uh, on this Turkey Callers of America Facebook group. But, uh, you know, what you'll be able to do is listen to the audio here uh, on the podcast, but I encourage you to go and join uh, the Facebook group. All you got to do is just type in Turkey Callers of America and just join. Uh, There's 11,000 members uh, and I, I know you're going to really, for, for the guys that like turkeys, uh, they're going to really dig this series. Uh, you know, Scott Ellis, Denny Golvis, uh, Joe Slayton, uh, um, Chris Parrish, uh, uh, Steve Stoltz. There's, there's just a ton of, of guys uh, that this is their expertise and they're, they're sharing this uh, with us. And uh, I'm excited to share it with you. Uh, guys, I want to thank you for your support of this podcast. I want to encourage you if you have any comments, questions, uh, or uh, things you want to talk about, or if there's guests that you want me to interview on the podcast, you can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. 
Also encourage you to follow along on um, my Facebook page, J. Scott Outdoors. That's my business Facebook page. I also have a personal page, J. Scott, but uh, uh, I, I do release most of my content on the business page, J. Scott Outdoors. Also at uh, J. Scott Outdoors on Instagram, uh, constantly getting uh, direct messages on Instagram and love uh, keeping in touch with you guys. Thank you for all your support uh, with that. And I want to thank the sponsors here of the podcast, GoHunt.com Insider has been with me f- from the start. Uh, GoHunt Insider uh, had an amazing month last month with uh, releasing the accurate draw odds data for Arizona and um, had more Go Hunt Insider uh, signups uh, last month using the J. Scott promo code. Uh, it, it set a record. And I um, appreciate all of the feedback that I've gotten from you guys. And I know it's an amazing resource. I get emails uh, from you guys all the time how, how happy you are with the uh, real accurate odds. And uh, there's some great stuff coming with New Mexico and a bunch of the other states. Uh, and, and the accuracy is huge when you're trying to apply for these big game tags in the West. So encourage you to go to gohunt.com forward slash insider. Uh, use the promo code JSCOTT. When you do, you get a $50 Kuyu gift card. Uh, not only is it a great resource for all the Western states, uh, but they're doing unbelievable uh, uh, gear giveaways, hunt giveaways to all of the insider members. All you have to do is be a, a member to, to, uh, to win. Uh, also, phonescope.com, Cheston Davis and his crew, uh, they make the best uh, uh, digiscoping adapters that, that fit any binocular, any spotting scope, basically any optic to any phone. So whatever phone you have, whatever spotting scope or bino you want to try and adapt it to, phonescope.com can do it. Use the JScott16 promo code and you're going to get a 10% discount over there at phonescope.com. Check those guys out. Also, Outdoorsman's. Uh, outdoorsmans.com, Cody Nelson and his crew there in Phoenix, Arizona, the Optics Authority. Uh, use the J. Scott promo code and you get 10% off uh, on all those Outdoorsman's products there. Uh, Cody and his crew do an amazing job. They're actually at the Western Hunting uh, Expo in Utah uh, this week. Uh, if you see him uh, and you're a podcast listener, go by there, introduce yourself to Cody if you haven't met him and his crew. Uh, tell them you're a J. Scott podcast listener, and um, they are the optics authority. So if you have any questions with optics, uh, look those guys up on outdoorsmans.com or give them a call at 1-800-291-8065. Uh, guys, that, that'll about do it. Let's get into the uh, Billy Yargis uh, Turkey Callers of America uh, Facebook Live uh, uh, interview here. Uh, also... Uh, guys, this spring, uh, my business, GouldsTurkeyHunt.com, uh, I do still have a few spots available in a few select dates, uh, April 20th to 24th, May 1st to the 5th, May 5th through the 9th, and May 9th through the 13th. Uh, I've got uh, a few spots here and there in those time time slots, so uh, send me an email at jscott outdoors at gmail.com if you're interested in a Gould's turkey hunt. They're an unbelievable bird. You can also go on my website. You can go on, actually I have a Facebook page, uh, Gould's turkey hunt 
uh, on Facebook, uh, like that page, and there's a bunch of videos and photos. And uh, yeah, awesome. Turkey season's here a couple months out, and uh, really looking forward to the spring. So let's get right to this episode with Billy Yargis. A few responses there. Hey, uh, we're going to talk about turkey calling and turkey hunting and be be a little more successful this spring than normal, I hope. Uh, some of you all, I'm sure, are very successful already, but we'll try to bring your calling to a new level. Try to put some more realism into your calling and, and uh, try to help you with a few tricks that I learned over the years. I've been turkey hunting. This will be my 40th spring turkey season uh, this year coming up, and I've been successful many years, and, and I've even had a lot of birds that I weren't su- successful on. The things I'll be telling you are things that's worked for me in the past and things that I enjoy doing. Uh, to try to fool that turkey and get him to come to me to where I can get him har- harvested. But there's so many times that that uh, nothing is foolproof. There's so many times that it still doesn't work regardless. So we'll go ahead and get right on into it. We're going to do a little bit of calling. Uh, one of my favorite calls is my grand national call. I'm going to hit some of these mouth calls and, and uh, start off with some tree yelps and some uh, soft clucks and things like that, get some tree talk, like what a turkey would do. What we normally want to do is we want to try and put ourselves in a position of being a hen turkey. That's the whole key uh, to calling turkeys is try to imagine in your own mind, try to pretend that you are that turkey. And I think that helps make you a lot more successful. I've actually sat underneath turkeys while they was roosted in the trees above me and watched them as they looked around into the other trees or as they looked around onto the ground as I began to cluck and do tree up at them and make different sounds to be able to try to get their attention. Uh, one of the things that they'll do is they'll start off clucking early in the morning when they very first wake up and it sound like this. thing you might hear is when a turkey actually flies down. A turkey, when she flies down, will explode off that limb. I think a lot of times a turkey is looking for a clear path down on the ground to be able to fly down, to be able to uh, hit the ground without uh, running into anything as they're flying down. And I think that makes them a little bit nervous. It's almost like they don't really want to jump off that limb and fly to the ground. Uh, There's other things waiting on the ground for them. Predators, maybe coyotes or bobcats or foxes or anything like that. So they're always looking all the time, really checking out things, trying to figure out exactly, uh, you know, exactly where they want to put their feet on the ground first thing in the morning. So when they, when they get ready to do that, they get kind of nervous and they begin to cluck a little bit faster and then they, they explode off that limb. You can tell my reed flipped over. One of the good things about a, a mouth call is sometimes you will have a reed flip over. I don't normally have that happen. What you have to do in that case, I'll give you a little tip. Make sure your the top of the call is wet. That way to keep that to keep that reed down. I'll do a fly down again.
That's one of the things that you're telling a turkey. Every time you talk to a turkey, every time you make a sound, you're actually telling, whether it's a gobbler or a hen or a jake or whatever it is you're hunting, you're telling that turkey something. By talking to him in a tree, you're li you're, you, you should be listening for a response. That's exactly what a hen turkey does. Is she's always looking or listening for a response to her calls. Every time, you know, every time that she uh, makes a sound of any kind, she's doing it for a reason. You know, there are, I guess there are some people that want to talk and just like to hear themselves talk, but for the most part, we're doing it, we're talking, and we're talking for a reason. Uh, we want to try and get a response out of somebody else. So, so what you want to do is you want to be that turkey. You want to do the exact same thing. Sorry, I'm kind of, I'm kind of looking through my, uh, I'm trying to look through the, internet here and try to find my cell phone here so I can answer some of your questions. I'm not seeing them on here for some reason. I'm Chris, not sure what Chris I'm doing. Chris Comstock yeah. says, that, don't do that in a couple weeks, Billy, LOL. Yeah. That's for sure, Chris. When we uh, when we go down there and we get on stage in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, the one thing you don't want to happen is you don't want uh, a read to flip over to where I guarantee you with the judges it's going to cost you. When you're out in the woods and you do something like that, don't let that bother you too bad because turkeys are a whole lot more forgiving than what people are. The judges won't forgive you. And I guarantee you that right there would have probably got me about a 15 on my fly down cackle. In the woods, just keep right on going. Make a few plain yelps right after that. Just try to get everything blend in. That turkey will forget about it a whole lot quicker than what those judges will. Hunter Berkeley says, hey Billy, have you ever got a slam? I've killed the Grand Slam. Uh, I hope this year to maybe get my ghouls. Go down to Mexico and hopefully kill of ghouls. It's, uh, it's, it's been a great thing to be able to go out and, like, I went to Florida and I killed the, the Osceola. Of course, I've killed several Easterns. I've been to Oklahoma, Texas, and Kansas and killed Rios. And last year, the NWTF actually took me to uh, Wyoming, and I got to hunt with Eric Thomas uh, Thompson out there and we uh, and Philip uh Philip, we all went out there and we turkey hunted. We was actually able to kill our Merriams. And I'd killed Merriams before, but they was kind of a cream colored on the tips of their fans. And I wanted that real, real white. And uh, John Brown, Chris Peltz, they, they, helped that, they helped me to do that. Brian Healy, how do you purr if you can't roll your tongue? If you can't roll your tongue, tongue, Brian, one of the things that I do, I do this with my cutter call when I'm hunting. Now, when I'm in a contest, a lot of times I use a bat wing or a V-cut to where I can roll my tongue. But what I do with my cutter call is I roll, I uh, kind of gurgle in the back of my throat, ugle in the back. You want it to kind of flutter and kind of... Now, I put a little sound to that. But with a call in your mouth, let me be sure and look at top read. You can, you can do that. You press your tongue up against those reeds and you get the, the uh, tone that you want. And you want to gurgle your throat and get those purrs. You can practice that and just, just keep trying to, even without a call, you can try to do that gurgling sound and, and, get, uh, and get that down patch where it makes it easier because it does take a little bit of practice to do that. And then, <coughs> and then try to do it with a call in your mouth. Bill Clark says, when is the NWTF in Nashville? This year, Bill, I believe it's uh, February the 11th and 12th. It's that weekend. The, the second weekend. Is it 18th? I think the 18th is the finals. 
Okay, so it's that weekend. It's uh, Yeah, that's right. I remember Book of Maroon. Now, 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th will be the NWTF convention down in Nashville at the Opperland Hotel. Uh, you need to come. I tell you what, the first time I ever went was in 1996. I went to Atlanta, Georgia. And when I went to that convention, I seen anybody and everybody I ever seen on TVs or DVDs or anything like that that had anything to do with turkey hunting. Uh, you will see them there. You'll be able to talk to them. Come by and talk to us at, at our booth, and uh, it's a fantastic time. You'll never forget your very first time, and I think I've been almost every year since then, and it's always been a fantastic time. Ken Jones says, hey, Billy, when you're in a contest, are nerves a factor for you, and if so, how do you tame them? Yeah, there's really, you, you've got that right when you said tame the nerves. Uh, you, you still get nervous. I don't care how long you've been turkey calling or how much that you've actually won. Uh, when I step up on stage, I'm nervous, and actually, I like to be a little bit nervous. I don't like to be overwhelmed with it. Uh, you just have to learn to call while you are nervous, and sometimes that can that can help you. I've walked up on stage before and actually been very, very calm, and when I was real calm, too calm, uh, I didn't get the excitement. I didn't get the feeling into my calling like I normally would when I was a little bit nervous, so I think uh, you can play it for your advantage, too. Shane Irwin says, fly down cackles are a real hit or miss in Pennsylvania. Seems I've spooked more birds than I have called in with the fly down cackle. Maybe pressured birds it doesn't work well on? Question mark. Well, one of the things that you can do, Shane, is, is you can use just a wing. You don't always, every turkey doesn't do a fly down cackle when they fly to the ground. But one of the things I like to do, and while I'm doing my fly down cackle, I'll use a wing. Now, you need to listen to some birds as they fly down so you can get that rhythm. You can even find it on YouTube, uh, different birds flying down. But the big thing is, is put that sound. You, you're trying to fool that bird, so just... And sometimes I'll even hit a tree limb or two, and you have to be in a position where that turkey cannot see you. And once you slap that down onto the ground, once you slap that wing down on the ground like a turkey just hit the ground, a lot of times I'll start purring and clucking and then I'll start take that wing and just start scratching in the leaves. The big thing is you're trying to deceive that turkey into believing that you, even though you might be a 150 to 200 pound man sitting at the base of a tree, you're trying to convince him that you are a 8 pound hen sitting up on a tree branch up in the top of that tree and now you've just flown down to the ground. I know Randy Smith, a good friend of mine, one of the things he always told me was sometimes you don't have to make a call. He slipped in on birds before and get 60, 70 yards from them, especially in the public ground where they're really pressured, and he would never make a sound on a turkey call. He would set up a decoy, and he would take a wing, and he would make those wing beats like a turkey, a hen turkey flying down, and he would all thing he would do, he wouldn't cluck, he wouldn't purr, he wouldn't nothing. He'd just start scratching in the leaves like a hen scratching in the leaves. And he's killed several turkeys like that. Joshua Pruitt, what gets you more excited, walking on stage or having Boss Gobbler hammer 10 yards away? There ain't no doubt. I'm not like, just, I'm no different than anybody else. When I when I go to the woods and, and you've got a gobbler standing there in front of you at full strut, there isn't anything any better than that. I do... Uh, I've enjoyed the turkey calling contest. I think it's a great way to bring your calling to a new level. And, it, and it's a lot of fun. You meet a lot of new people. So it's got its place. But there's nothing like having a gobbler sneak up behind you or standing right in front of you at full strut. Gobbling just feels like he's shaking the ground. That you, you just want to come unglued. I had a bird uh, several years ago when I was hunting uh, up here in Memphis, Missouri. A bird had come come to about 100 yards and gobbled. 
gobbled and gobbled and gobbled and then he shut up. And I called him a few times and he wouldn't do anything. And all of a sudden, this bird gobbles behind us right across a slough and it was less than 10 yards. And I mean, you talk about come unglued. There, you, don't, you don't get that feeling nowhere. Bob Smith, do you huff air or blow air on the diaphragm and can you demonstrate? I don't really huff air. What I usually do... I don't know exactly how to explain it. Uh, a lot of people think that there's a word that you can actually say. What it amounts to, on my call, I use a cutter call, and on my call, you have to put the pressure up on the reeds and get that top reed. Your top reed is where all your rasp comes from. It flutters, and that's where your raspiness comes from. In order to stop that rasp or to get the higher pitches of the call, you have to, to press the middle of your tongue up further into those reeds to get that top reed to stop and to get those higher pitches, like this, just a, this is just kind of a soft yelp, very, very little rasp. And the reason there's not much rasp when I do this particular type of yelp is because I'm stopping that top reed. Now, as you heard, right at the very end of that, I actually dropped my tongue just a slight bit off and allowed a little bit of that top reed to begin to flutter. Now, if you really want to get on that call, do excited hen yelps, assembly yelps, or you want to get louder with it and get a, get a gobbler's attention, drop your tongue just a touch more. And when I say drop your tongue, I don't mean drop it clear off the call. It's always going to be placed up into that call, but you want to give a little bit. What's going on there is in between that tape and your tongue, is where you're forcing that air through. And if you just barely come off of, the, off of those reeds, it's going to allow that to flutter just a little bit more. You can go too far with that and, you, and, uh, and allow that reed to flutter too much and, and get to where you're not sounding realistic. So you have to play with it. You have to practice. I'm going to tell you right now, I practice. I practice a lot. I've been going to the woods. I've uh, been going with some buddies of mine, Rodney Cook. We've been bow hunting a little bit. And then I've even gone out uh, muzzleloader hunting a couple times, and deer wasn't moving. And I started hearing turkeys gobble, so I had to start playing with the with the gobblers. The other day, I think it was last week, last Monday, I ended up calling in seven gobblers, and a couple of them come in a strutting. I just couldn't help myself. But what you want to do is put more pressure on the call when you want to get the higher pitches. Drop your tongue off just a little bit, and allow more air to go through there, and allow that reed to start flutter a little bit more to get more rasp. It sound like this. calling just like duck calling or anything else it's just like a hen turkey the everything has to come from your diaphragm everything has to come from way down deep when you begin to get those louder yelps everything has to come from way down deep you don't want it to come from your throat it's not that you can't call turkeys just by calling you know through your throat with a mouth call but it sounds more realistic more like a hen turkey if you're bringing it from your diaphragm and you can make uh, uh, have a whole lot better control over your call whenever you're doing that Josh Abernathy, I think he's asking advice for getting bird across a river. That's something, Josh, you just never know. I mean, I've called birds and had them fly across creeks or fly across rivers. I've had them fly across uh, woven wire fences. It all depends, I think, anyways, that it depends on how 
uh, excited that bird is. How badly do they want to come to you? If they don't have hens with them, there's a good chance that uh, they may fly across that fence or may even fly across that river and come to you. My advice is set up on him and go ahead and try to call, but I would back away from the edge. I wouldn't uh, get right up on the edge. I would back back away from the edge, kind of like you're leaving, and get and reset up and get set up about maybe 100 yards from the edge of that river and give that gobbler plenty of room that if he does decide to fly across it, he'll fly right over, hit the bank, then he can come looking for you. If that's not working, my suggestion to you would be to go find another bird because there's so many times that gobblers don't work, and I don't care how good a caller you are or what kind of a setup you've got, so many times that a gobbler won't work, and he's not workable. Sometimes you have to get up and move unless you want to crawl in there and, and do business with him that way. Dale Hunsucker, jam up, cluck, and purr. Uh, thanks, Dale. Good dude there. I know Dale, he's a, he's a turkey caller. I mean, he's good. Do you, uh, Roy Shrewsbury, Billy, do you prefer a box or mouth call in the woods? I always prefer a mouth call. Mainly, uh, that's what I started with. Uh, back in 1970, 1978, I started off with a mouth call. Uh, Russell Robertson, a really good friend of mine, he's gone now. He, he passed away in 1992. Uh, but he taught me how to hunt, and he taught me how to fish, and, uh, he was someone I don't know that I know for sure that I wouldn't be where I'm at today with with turkey hunting if I hadn't been for him. I would practice with my mouth call, with my mouth call, and I think I had it right. I'd go by his house in the evening after I got off of school, and he'd listen to me and tell me, "No, you got it all wrong," and he and he'd get me back on track. And he did that day after day, and he didn't mind doing that with with uh, you know with young kids. Just kept getting back on track to the point where. Finally, uh, I started doing a little bit better. It took me about three years to kill my first turkey. And after that, uh, things kind of broke loose then. I began to want to sound more like a turkey. I went to a calling contest back in the early 80s here in uh, Hannibal, Missouri, where I live at. And I seen Walter Parrott there. Walter's a friend of mine now. Back then, I seen him. I had no idea who he was. He'd come down and he sat right in front of me at this calling contest, and he began to run a call, and he started yelping on it. I always thought that I could tell a turkey from a caller any time until I heard him yelp on that on that mouth call, and I was completely amazed. Russell came over, and he sat down beside him, and he said, what are you doing, boy? And I said, what he, he's always calling you, boy. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, uh, I just heard a guy sitting right here in front of me that sounded exactly like a hen turkey. And he said, well, who is he? I said, I don't know. And he said, well, point him out. So I pointed him out, and he said, boy, that's Walter Parrott. He's, he's a grand national champion. He ought to sound like a turkey. But from that day forward, I wanted to sound like a turkey. So if you if you practice enough with a mouth call, you can get that good. And that goes for, for friction calls. I mean, slate calls or box calls. Don't get me wrong here. I use all of them in the woods. I use a box call, and I use it a lot. I've got one right here. It's called the Easy Touch. I love to definitely locate birds. Or if I'm... I'm calling, I do a lot of blind calling too, but if I'm doing a lot of blind calling, moving from one place to another, and I'm not having much luck, eventually I'm going to break out this box call, and I'm going to give uh, some loud, aggressive yelps, a little bit of cutting, and go right back into some yelps, kind of like this.
as loud, as high pitched as that is, that will carry. I mean, my mouth call, I can make it pretty loud, but not near as loud as I can in that box call. You'll grab the ear of a gobbler at a long distance. Sometimes you might grab the ear of a hen and she'll start yelping back at you. Then start calling that hen and try to get her drawn into you. Shane Simpson, tell us a little history of your experience with mouth calls. When did you first use one? When did you become proficient with it, etc.? Well, Shane, like I was saying, in 1978, I began to use a single read perfection call is what I started off on. And I just basically was trying to get the call to break over. I wanted to graduate. My buddy Russell was using a, uh, a three-read, 3D Omega. I think it was a brown call. It had three reads in it, and I began to use one of those. And that's, uh, it took me about three years. Actually, the first year I went out, I had a bird coming to me just using that. And uh, I was so inexperienced, I didn't know. I hadn't been hunting, but I think I started hunting that fall in August. Russell had taken me squirrel hunting, and we just... It just escalated from there, and the first time I went spring turkey hunting, what I did, I heard a turkey cluck, and I stood up so I could get a better shot, and, and everybody here knows what happened, and that turkey ran off, so I didn't do any good, and even the two other, you know, even the couple of years that I didn't harvest a bird, those first two or three years was uh, not that big of a deal. I still called in turkeys, but I was so scared. People had me so scared to move and get my gun up to kill a turkey that... Uh, I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't actually harvest a bird. So finally, everything came together. I kept going out with Russell. I wouldn't let anybody call me in a turkey. I always wanted to do it myself. And there's nothing wrong with having somebody call you in a turkey. And I'm glad there's people out there that like for other people to call them in a turkey because that's what I do. I love to go with other people and call them in a bird. But I started on a mouth call and I did that. And then probably in 1987, uh, I bought a Ray I had a, a cutter call, a three-read cutter call, which is much basically what I'm using right now. That three cutter call, I started on it, and, and I could hear a turkey in it. See, when you get a mouth call, you begin to you begin to use that mouth call, and the very first few notes that come out of that mouth call, you can hear whether there's a turkey in it or whether there isn't. And I don't know how many of them I threw away. That's one of the things that got me into turkey calling contest was I wanted to get a, a better mouth call. You know, on the market, there's so many times that turkey calls begin, uh, people begin to mass produce them. To a point to where there's not much consistency in them, and I, that's the only thing. I, that's the only reason I got into turkey calling is because I wanted a better mouth call. I wanted calls like Ray I produced. You know that that, that first few years that he was into it, I wanted those calls, and that's what led me to do that. Andrew Moore, hi Billy. How old are most of the calls you are running on stage? Do you build them that year, or do you have some calls older than older than others? Hey Andrew. Uh, this year, the, I think this call here, I think I built, a lot of times what I do is I put dates on them. Okay, this one was built December 24th, Christmas Eve, 2015. That's the date I put on it. This one was built March 16th, 2015. Uh, that's a cut and touch. I would say that call, I was probably getting ready to go hunting and was... Not happy with what I had and started building more. Here's another one that's uh, one I used for cutting. That was built March 16, 2015. I have had calls last me for seven or eight years, but I really don't use them except, especially not hunting. I don't use them hardly any except for when I get ready to go on stage or maybe do a little practicing beforehand. Uh, most of these calls that I have right now, they're they're pretty new. I mean, within one to two years old. So 
I had to regroup last year, my wife can tell you. I was struggling last year and I kept, uh, I built calls and I blew calls and I went to the woods and I called the turkeys and I was doing all kinds of things and I just feel really blessed that I won the Grand Nationals again last year because uh, there for a while I was struggling with some of my yelping. Tim Rigby, get to see the Mossy Oak Pro staff there too. Good luck, Billy. Any advice for Jakes that will be attending the championship in Nashville? The main thing for those kids, just call like a turkey. I mean, try to sound as much like a turkey as you can. You know, there's so many different things with YouTube and there's so many different uh, treetop turkeys and spitting feathers out there that you can use as a tool to be able to listen to and to be able to try to sound as much like a turkey as you possibly can when you walk up on that stage. Don't worry about trying to do what older callers are doing or anything like that. When they ask you for a call, just try to sound like a turkey as much as you possibly can, and you'll come out on top. Chase Uthoff, have you crawled to a turkey? Yeah, Chase, I have called, crawled to a few of them. That's not the way. That's not really what I call my style. It's not really what I want to do. Uh, but, yes, there has been times that... Uh, you get aggravated with the turkeys. They don't want to work. Uh, every bird you come across, they're either gobbling going the other direction, gobbling standing in one spot. And what really aggravates you sometimes, and I know everybody runs into this at different times, turkeys you think are hinned up, and when you finally crawl up there or sneak up there and you take a look at them, they're standing there completely by themselves. There's not another hen or another gobbler. No turkeys whatsoever around that turkey. And you yelp at him and he gobbles and he still stands there. He'll strut and he stands in one spot and he won't move. Nobody can explain exactly what that is other than, I think, uh, sometimes turkeys, they get into that pecking order thing. So you have different phases on turkeys, just like Mark and Terry Drury both talk about the phases in deer hunting. Well, I think turkeys do the same thing. I've never labeled them uh, in different kinds of phases, but I think that you have, like at the beginning of April, the turkeys... And I, I scout it, I scout a lot of times for in February, March, and April, and I go out and I watch the birds and I kind of see how they react. In April, the birds are all talking. There's not really what you call a social or a pecking order established yet. And when you, when you call a gobbler or a jake or any of them liable to come run you over, I mean, they're running to you, every, every, not every time you do it, but they're real vocal and they're real responsive to your calls. As the season goes on and they begin to get that pecking order uh, straightened out, the younger gobblers, or the lesser gobblers anyways, will begin to fade away and begin not gobbling quite as much, or they continue to gobble and they won't come into you. And that's one of the reasons why I think they do that. And sometimes they don't leave you any other choice. When you've got one farm to hunt uh, for that year and those turkeys are not responding anyway, that may be your last resort, and I wouldn't be scared to do that. Caleb Westmoreland, how are you controlling your air for your front end of the up? Well, the, uh, I don't put as near as much air on my call as I do all of my softer calls compared to my louder calls. When I'm doing the front end, my front, what you call my front end on my Yelp, I'm putting very little bit of air through that call, and I'm trying to keep that top read from fluttering. It's like I was explaining earlier. Now, I will explain one other thing that I didn't explain earlier was not only do I use my tongue to just stop that top read. On a B-cut call, that's basically what you do. All the air goes right across the middle of the call, and you just put your tongue up into it a little bit tighter, 
and then you can drop your tongue off to get the rasp into it. On my cutter call, what I like to do is I like to direct the air more to the left side of the call and get that higher pitch, clearer sound out of it. And as I begin to want to get raspier, I drop my tongue just a little bit, allowing the air to come back over right into the to the middle to the right side of that call in order to get that reed to completely flutter. So whatever call you're using, whether it's a shipwreck, whether it's a cutter call, a bat wing, a vika, or whatever it is, you need to figure out exactly where do you want that air to go across that call to be able to get the sounds that you need to be able to get your high front end, to be able to get your back end on a call. Uh, where do you? And it's the same way with cutting, with clucking, with tree yelping, or fly down cackles, or any of that stuff, or even the kiki run. See, when I kiki on this call, when I kiki on it, what I'm going to do is I'm going to push my tongue all the way up into that call and get that top reed to quit fluttering and try to just put. What I do is I push it up in there and I just try to get a little bit of air going across those two bottom reeds to be able to get that high-pitched whistle. So you got to figure out where to put that air on the call, how much air to put on the call, how much tongue pressure you need, how much do you want to drop your jaw. Matt Van Sice doesn't drop his jaw at all. He pretty much leaves it in the exact same place, and it's all controlled by air and by his tongue. Me, I like to drop my jaw, so it all depends on what works best for you. Chase also wants to know what type of turkey call do you use. Maybe you already answered that. I use a cut and touch. Uh, is made made by Mad. Well, I make them for Mad calls, and then they distribute them onto the into the stores. I use a cut and touch, and I use the Grand National uh, call, which is the same as a cut and touch, only it has a gray 4000 top read on it. Those are my two favorite calls. Uh, the rest of my calls, the Killer Touch, the Soft Touch, the Final Touch, uh, the Eternal Touch, all of them are really great calls too. And the reason I put those on the market is because I have used all those calls in the past, and they are great calls. They work good. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that everybody has that opportunity because not everybody likes a cutter call. Donovan Burge, can you give the best advice on purring with a diaphragm call? The best advice is you can do it two different ways, Don. You can either you can either uh, use your tongue and flutter your tongue, which is what I do with any kind of a V-cut call or bat wing. Or you can use a cutter cut call. By I use when I use it, I usually uh, roll my throat, kind of gurgle in the back of my throat. So it depends on what I, I learn how to do it both ways. I first learned by rolling my tongue. For me, that was easy, but for some people, they just can't roll their tongue. So my suggestion is. Uh, try rolling your throat. Now that's with a mouth call. The other part is, if you can't do that, I mean, you can run your mouth call with everything. When you want to purr and cluck, just use a just use a slate if you have to. As far as hunting in the woods, I mean, turkeys they don't pick up on that stuff. Not like a judge would in a contest. Christian Tony, which diaphragm were you demonstrating your fly down with, Billy? That was what the Grand National call that I make for Mad calls. It's a three and three reed cutter call. Uh, 
It is my favorite call. I can do everything I want to from clucks and purrs, tree calls, fly down cockles, cutting, uh, assembly yelping, excited hen yelping, any, any kiki runs, pretty much everything. The only thing I can't do is I can't gobble. Clay Herb, how often do you practice and does your wife get tired of you practicing? Hey, Clay, she's right there. She could answer that for you. <laughs> yes. That depends on the year. Yeah, there are some years that I will drive her pretty well crazy. Uh, if I am struggling, that's when it really gets bad. If I'm not struggling and everything's going good, so far everything's good this year. So if I'm not struggling, it's not it's not too bad. It sounds like maybe you've uh, experienced this before yourself. Um, Eric Lights, have you ever used the cooing type call that the hens do? I have some yard birds and hear the hens do it a lot. I use, used it as best as I could make it sound last year, and it seemed to ease birds that, I can't read the rest of this, oh, were nervous. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of people say, quit calling, and I'm going to tell you the exact same thing. If you've got a bird call, uh, bird coming to you, and, and he continues to come, there's really no reason to call. I mean, let him come and search for you. Let him come and, and look you up, you know. I mean, that's one of the things that you want to do. But I am guilty, and everybody that hunts with me would uh, say that I'm contradicting what I actually do because what I actually do is a lot of times I'll keep calling to that bird until he's right there, a lot of times till I pull the trigger. So many times I'll get a bird in there, and just like you said, just those little whips, little whines, just a little... Just the little bitty things that the hen turkeys will do when they're just feeding around there, and a lot of times not even paying any attention to a to a gobbler or another turkey, they get done at her. Maybe purring and clucking or just some real real soft yelps. I've had birds actually spook before, and I begin to do that, and they calm back down. It's like now if they see you and they know that you're a human and they need to get out of there, they're going to get out of there. But if they just seen something that was a little bit out of the ordinary, a lot of times you can begin to do those, do those kind of calls and calm them back down and allow you to get that shot. Mike Batty, what do you contribute to, to you being able to reach that goal of national and world champion? Hey, Mike, good to hear from you. It's, uh, I don't know. I guess I've just been very blessed. That's the best thing I can tell you. I mean, yes, I have worked hard. I've uh, I spent a lot of hours and hours and hours in the woods. My wife can tell you, if you ever see her, you can talk to her and ask her. Uh, a lot of times I start in December, January. I used to always start in February. I mean, I a lot of times go out there every chance I get and try to listen to birds that are up in the tree. And now you, you know, a good friend of mine, Denny Galvis, he, he's been sending me some clips of some turkeys and it's phenomenal, the stuff that he's getting. Uh, Brad Taylor is another friend of mine, and the treetop turkeys, that's phenomenal. And as you know, uh, Mike, the spitting feathers, I you've given me a, a DVD of that. Uh, man, it's unbelievable what you can hear just on those things and pick out what turkeys are doing uh, in the trees or whether they're on the ground. Uh, you can tell the difference between fly-up cockles and fly-down cockles. And it's fantastic to be able to have that. But I spent a lot of time in the woods and, and, and calling and trying to get, uh, trying to, get to that level. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. Chris Parrish was a big part of that for me as far as uh, I knew how to call turkeys. But Chris was a big part for me in calling contests. I don't know how many hours I spent over at his house, him building me turkey calls. And, and uh, a lot of people say there's no difference in the woods and what there is on stage. But... There is a slight difference, and the big difference is trying to impress judges rather than trying to impress turkeys because judges are very, very critical on you. 
Monty Tudor, I've had several birds hang up just out of range. What's a good tactic to bring them in that last few yards? Just some soft stuff. Just uh, maybe scratch in the leaves. Uh, if he can't see you, the big thing is setting up against a tree. A lot of times the bird will be able to see you. So just try to do some soft purrs and clucks. Or maybe if you can't do that, just do some soft yelps. A lot of times just a few little clucks will get difference and get him to come that extra few yards. Caleb Martin, have you ever used gobbler clucks to call birds in? Hey, Caleb. Yeah, I've used gobbler, gobbler yelps and gobbler clucks. Uh, sometimes you want to do that and try to get on a jealousy side. I had my daughter hunting with me, Katie, one time, and we had a bird goblin on each side of us as we were setting up against a tree. We were setting side by side, and I had a gobbler off to our left, and I had a gobbler kind of down to our right in front of us. And the gobbler on the left had shut up. When he flew down, he, he got quiet, and he wouldn't say anything. So I'm sitting there, and I, I was hoping that he was coming in, and I kept telling her, watch, just keep watching to your left, and I'll watch to the right. Well, I could tell the bird on the right was in a tree, and this bird on the left, he never showed up, and this other bird on my right was still in a tree, and finally I told her, I said, look, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a soft hen yelp, I'm going to do a gobbler cluck and a yelp, and then when I do that bird will fly down and run up this hill to where you can kill him. And she got all excited. She said, well, it really worked bad. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I said, nothing's foolproof, but I will tell you this. It has worked in the past, so we might give it a try and just see if it works. And she said, well, give it a try. You couldn't have explained it any better and had it happen just exactly like that. It, I mean, it's like you read the script. I, I give him a soft yelp. I give him a hard cluck and a little bit of a gobbler yelp. And he got jealous. And I think, see, this is the whole thing. You want to put it in their minds. When you're trying to deceive that turkey, you want to put it into their minds that, in my opinion, he thought this other gobbler that had quit gobbling, he thought he came up to the hen. And when he heard that, he got mad. And I mean instantly, what he did when I quit calling, he instantly gobbled, flew down, and ran up the hill. And at about 30 yards, he ended up killing her first big gobbler. And it was a good long beard, too. So it was a, it was a fantastic day for her. And not only that, I killed one about an hour later. And on the way home, she said, this is the best day of my whole life, Dad. I mean, of course, she was only about 13 years old. So at 13, that was the best day of her whole life. And don't think, that don't choke you up a little bit. Scott Ellis, how many mouth calls do you carry in the woods with you? Hey, Scott, I usually carry, see, I got three boxes uh, is what I usually pack. And I got about at least two, sometimes three calls per box. And then one of the things I always do, I usually have about a half a dozen more that I have in my turkey vest that I don't really like that well, but I put them in there just in case I ever forget my calls, which has never happened yet. But I try to be prepared. So, yeah, I probably got a dozen or better of them with me. If I, if I have trouble, I can always reach in and find another one. Uh, Troy Floyd says, Hey, Billy, just wanted to say that hunt that you and Derek set up to raise money for those folks in Louisiana was... He says a stand, a stand, a thing. God bless you, buddies. I'm not quite sure, but anyway. Thanks, Troy. I appreciate that. Uh, I mean, we're just trying to do what God leads us to do, and that's a big thing. Is is we're trying to use the abilities and what God give us to be able to use, and to be able to make that happen for them. Uh, I know I did from them, and it, it sounds like it really was a big help for them. So that's, I don't want any of the credit. I mean, that's something for God to do because i'm going to get to go enjoy the turkey hunt regardless matt van sice when do you plan on retire retiring from turkey calling contests <laughs> <laughs> well I'll be honest with you i've thought about it a few times but 
I feel like I've got a I've got a free buy into the finals this year, so I got to call one more year. Uh, this may be my last year. I don't know. Uh, I'm 53 years old, so we'll we'll see what happens. I'm still blowing air across the across the reed, so uh, may keep may keep going for a little bit longer. <laughs> I'm not for sure, Matt. Zach Bauer, do you have any tips for calling them across the road? I've had several encounters last year where they are across the road when I don't have permission to hunt, and when I finally get got to him, got him next to the road, sorry, cars would come by and stop to look at him and push him back. I've seen that happen before. I was out in Kansas one time. I was hunting with my brother-in-law, and we chased these turkeys for quite a little while, and we finally caught up to them. They were right beside a gravel road, and we just getting set up, and all of a sudden, here comes a turkey running right back past by us. And I'm like, well, what in the world is going on? And I peeked up, and exactly the same thing. I don't know if these guys were trying to shoot the turkeys or not, but they'd pull right up on the road. Where these birds were right beside the gravel, and they'd pull up right there and stop and chased all the birds right back past us. I didn't shoot one then because that wasn't the way I wanted to kill him, you know, just have him running by me. But uh, there's really nothing you can do about that. You can't control other people. Uh, just keep after him, and hopefully that one day you'll get lucky and nobody will drive by and see him and want to stop and take a take a look at him. Andrew Moore, what's your calling and hunting schedule like this year, Billy? Uh, Andrew, I'll have to call you later, and we'll, we'll talk about that uh, maybe down at the Nationals. Joe Slayton, what tactics do you use on turkeys that don't gobble? What I like to do, is, Joe, is I like to I like to blind call a lot. Uh, I learned that when I was younger, uh, when I was very young, and I always say when you're having problems or when I'm having issues trying to kill a turkey, uh, I do a lot of blind calling. I, I feel like I got to go back to the basics, and and that can be whether you're in turkey calling or whether you're talking about hunting. But for me, the basics the basics on turkey hunting is doing a lot of blind calling. I slip into an area, and this is where, so you have to be prepared. To be to go turkey hunting, you need to be prepared. You need your vest on, and you need all the, st- all the different tools that you need, whether it's a box call or whether it's a, you know, aluminum calls, slate calls, whether it's uh, mouth calls or anything else. But you need to be prepared. And not only in that way, but also with your scouting. You need to know where the birds are. Are roosted. You need to know where they're feeding. You need to know where they're getting their water from, where their strut areas are, where their hens are staying at. You need to try and figure all that out in all these different areas. So by doing that, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll slide in and get set up and never make a call. Not try to strike him up. Just know that 9 o'clock he's going to be here. So you go in and you get a decoy set up. If I'm hunting a timber, a lot of times I don't even use a decoy. Just get in there and get set up. And begin to do what I call just some soft calls, just the soft yelps that I was showing you earlier. Maybe a little bit of clucking and purring, but keep it really down to a minimum. You don't want to do a whole bunch of calling. I've done that before, and then all of a sudden, boom, one gobbles, and I mean, he's only 50 yards. I mean, he's actually close enough to where you can pretty much almost shoot him at that point. You just can't see him at that point. When he does that, just give him, you can do one or two things. If you've just yelped and he gobbles at you, you can explode on him with some excited hen yelps, or you can just give him another little soft yelp like, hey, I'm over here, and then just get your gun up and get ready. Or a lot of times what you have to listen for is just turkeys walking in the leaves or maybe that spitting and drumming. You want to hear that, that bird's coming to you. A lot of times they won't make a sound. They won't make a gobble. They won't make a yelp. And then there's another part of it, too. If you hear one... Uh, yelp at you or make that loud gobbler clock like Andrew was talking about earlier you can uh, 
you can detect that that's a gobbler too and get yourself ready. I just do a lot of blind calling what I do when the things get tough. Joe Saucy, where did you learn how to make the different cuts on your mouth calls? You see a lot of them in the stores. I mean, Chris Parrish showed me, uh, Chris Parrish is the one that showed me how to build mouth calls and uh, showed me how to make those different cuts into mouth calls. But yeah, just over the years, uh, I think it was back in the 80s when people actually started cutting the mouth calls and getting the, the different cuts into them and I don't know how you could really design anything uh, any different to what's out there on the market today, but that's where I learned it from as Chris Parrish showed me. Jonathan Miller, what are the subtle differences in hunting slash calling the different subspecies? There's really not a whole lot of difference. The one thing that I've noticed more than anything, and I haven't hunted the ghouls, but as far as as far as uh, Osceola, as far as the eastern, the Rio or the Marion. The only two things that I, the only one thing that I've seen different is the Eastern and the Osceola are, to my, my opinion, pretty much the same. Other than the Osceolas, they seem to like to fight a lot more than most birds. Uh, when I was down there hunting them, they, they seem to want to fight a little bit more. The Rios and the Merriams, uh, you can set up two or three hundred yards from them if they're not really high pressured. And a lot of times they'll come to you and sometimes in big flocks, but... As far as calling techniques on any of them, the big thing that I seen was the reels of the Merriams when they're cutting or anything like that. They seem like they have more of a more of a high pitch, um, real high pitch cuts. It's uh, I don't know how to explain it. I can do it for you. See your normal bird around here, as far as the eastern of the Osceola, will will cut like this. But I picked this up when I was in Texas one year. The hens, one of the things that gobblers would gobble at us, but the, that the, they didn't seem to want to react to us like they would to hen turkeys. So what I did is, when, as far as my cutting or anything like that, I noticed that the hens was doing was making more of a more of a noise like this. I just drove them crazy. When I began to do that on that call, it just drove them crazy. And that's the only differences that I've really seen. As far as anything else, especially the up and it's pretty much the same. Joe Saucy, is there a difference between competition calling and hunting? The only difference, Joe, is that you're trying to impress people rather than trying to impress a turkey. That's a, that's a big thing is you're always trying to impersonate a turkey. Uh, but when you're up on the stage... The judges, they're not forgiving at all. When you go to the woods, the turkeys are a little more forgiving. As much as I try to be as perfect as I can in the woods, the same as I do on stage, that is the only difference that I really see is that you're trying to impress people rather than turkeys. Shane Martinez, what is your go-to call or cut on a mouth call that you use for all calls? And that's this one. If I had to use anything, and, and years ago, the World Championship come up with a, a deal where you had to do a scenario-type calling they give you five different calls and i can't remember all of them i know they i know they included clucks and purrs i know they included uh, fly down cackles cutting of an excited hen uh, yelps of an excited hen and then the kiki run and you only had 90 seconds is all you had to do all these different calls in and i got nervous i'm, I'm not gonna lie i got nervous and i thought well I'm just going to use one call. So I use my cutter call is what I use. The cut and touch, I think, is what I was using back in. And I walked up on stage, and I never switched calls out. I used that to do everything. And I think back in, I think I placed, I don't remember if it was 6th or 7th, 8th, somewhere right in there. I didn't, I didn't feel like I did too bad. I was just getting started. But, 
Yeah, it's one of them things that Troy's talking about as far as, or Ken was talking about, one of you guys was talking about the nerves. I was very, very nervous uh, that year when they had us doing that, and I just used one call and got through it. Richard Gunn, do you like running friction on stage or just mouth calls? I just like running the, the mouth calls. I can control my nerves. When I get, see, when I get when I get one of these friction calls up there and I get up on stage, I mean, not that I can't run one, but one of the problems is, and so many people do have that, it's trying to control your nerves as far as your hands. You might start trying to sound like a woodpecker, just getting, if you think about it too much, trying to get that peg down onto that, onto that surface. Uh, you sound more like a woodpecker than you would a turkey. Chase Crow, what call do you use on a windy day, or would you use on a windy day? I use, what I, what I pack on my vest is I've got the illuminators. I've got the heavy metal, and then I've got the aluminum class, illuminator classic. This is one of my favorites as far as locating birds, uh, along with the box call. This thing is really high-pitched, and it's, uh, it's loud. It will carry. You can cut on it. You can do pretty much everything you want to do on it. And you can also get soft with it. See, one of the big things about using a friction call is you've got holes in the bottom. And you can you can change that sound chamber by the way that you hold your hand. If you want to muffle it down and make it a little bit soft. I can do that by, by closing those holes up. Now, I'll do exactly the same thing. And then I'll begin to raise up my hand and, and let you tell the volume different. not changing the pressure of that call or anything like that when I do that but when I want to locate I put that in my fingertips and it gets loud my wife loves it when I do this in the house (laughs) that will ring your ears in my house (laughs) my wife loves it when I do that Scott Ellis, how close do you set up to a turkey on the roost? Well, Scott, it depends on uh, what kind of year I'm having. If you've got turkeys that are really tough and hard to hunt or really hinned up bad, there are times that I'll try to push in within 50 or 60 yards. Most generally, I don't uh, I don't shoot turkeys for a long distance. I like to get them right in there close, but sometimes I'll set up 50, 60 yards from them and when it gets tough and try to try to do that but normally I want to try to set up at about 100 125 yards and try to call him in try to get him to work I like to be able to use my wing and uh, be honest with you I move around a little bit when I'm sitting up against that tree way more than what I actually should I mean I know when to sit still but uh, yeah I would just soon be able to be comfortable and sit there and not have to sit like a bump on a log for 30 minutes just waiting for him to fly down out of that tree so i yeah i i get close if i need to but if i don't have to i'd rather set back just a little bit and call him to me chase crow what call would you use on a hung up bird i don't think we've answered that yet i'm not sure there's a very a various amount of things that you can do one of the things that i'll do is sometimes i'll try to i'll even try to gobble at him if you're not hunting on public ground what I do what I do a lot of times is I'll start off kind of soft, maybe try some excited hen yelps, and then maybe just throw a, a quick gobble in her, maybe a jake gobble at him, and try to get him to close that distance. Or my last resort would be a gobbler fight. But what I usually do is start off kind of like this.
Sometimes by throwing that little gobble in there, or maybe even a Jake Yelp, will get him to thinking that there's another gobbler moving in his area. I did. Another thing you can do is you can fight. And uh, a lot of times I like to use a wing. If the gobbler can see you, you can't do that. But if he doesn't, he can't see you. He's not that close. What you can do is you can purr, do fighting purrs, try to sound like two different turkeys, uh, purr back and forth and do that fight. times that'd get a bird to come. It's not kind of like people, you know, when you, when you hear that there's a fight, a lot of times a crowd goes running. I was in school, it was that way. Everybody's like fighting. Next thing you know, everybody was running over to see who was fighting. And I think turkeys do that a lot of times. They're not wanting to allow any, especially if he's a dominant bird. And one of the things I did run into on something with the Allen Bear Horse in Canton one year, we had a bird that gobbled down in the bottom. We were sitting up on top of a ridge and we slipped down along those bottoms and we tried to get this bird to come to us. We seen him, he was strutting the field and he was gobbling through up until I yucked at him. And then he shut up and he walked out in front of me to about 70 yards and he and he hung up there. Well, we decided to do a fight and we did that fight in purr. And I, I didn't use a wing because uh, the bird was too too out in the wide open where I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't use that wing. He was going to see me. So I just started doing those purrs and Alan was doing some purrs behind me. This bird turned around and he ran the other direction. And I'm like, man. I asked Alan, I said, was it that bad? He's like, no, I thought it sounded pretty good. Well, the next week, I went back to the exact same place, and I was up on top ridge, and I began to call, and a turkey started answering. He come to me, and he did the exact same thing. About 70 yards out, he hung up, and he wouldn't come to me. I could hear him drumming. I could hear him gobbling. I could hear him doing everything. I did everything I knew how to do, and I even tried to gobbler yell. <clears throat> this bird still would not move. Finally, I thought, after an hour and a half, I thought, I'm going to have to do something. Either that or go find a different bird. So finally, I did a fight. Only this time, this bird was there in a matter of about 5 to 10 seconds after I started that fight. This bird ran as fast as he could. I mean, I didn't have a wing. I had my hat, and I was using it on my rubber boot. I threw my hat down, grabbed my gun, and I'm not that good a shot, but I ended up killing that turkey. And what I what I remember from all of that and what I think I learned from that, you never quit learning. I've been hunting for, uh, this will be my 40th turkey season this spring, and I, I never quit learning. But that year I learned that the one bird was probably insubordinate gobbler he also i didn't say before but he also had a jake with him so the one bird that was down in the bottoms he got he got scared when he heard that fight he wanted no part of that and he just took off running he just wanted out of it the other bird on the other end he hung up and he wanted the hens to come to him but when he heard that fight break out what i believe is how i deceived him was he thought that, that maybe that jake and that young gobbler or insubordinate gobbler got into a fight. He was coming up to settle that score and do it pretty quick. And, and I, I mean, that bird had an inch and three eight spurs. So I, he was an older bird. Shane Martinez, what is your go-to cut on a call that has the versatility you like for hunting? It's the same thing that I use in contest. Uh, this is a call I use in contest, and you can see it's kind of getting nasty looking. But I use this in the woods. Uh, matter of fact, this is the one that I've been using in the woods. It's exactly the same thing. Uh, I've been using it in the woods. I'm going to use it to Kiki on uh, this year. One of my best yelping calls that I've ever had is one I started off using in the woods and clear up until Matt Van Sice told me I need to quit it and put that thing away because I needed to use it in contest. Uh, I end up winning a grand national a grand national title with it. I I don't know. I played several times with that call because I had that's a call that I had for six or eight years. Frank Hanley, can you gobble on a mouth call? I can't gobble on a mouth call. I can gobble a little bit with my voice. 
that's not that's not the best that I can do. <laughs> John Murphy, what's your calling strategy for calling to hend up turkeys? You might have already answered that. Well, hend up turkeys. A lot of times, uh, you could call to the hen and try to get them to come to you. One of the things that I've run into as far as hend up turkeys is sometimes the hen you can get them fired up and get them to come to you, but also you can you can call too loud and aggressive to them and trying to get them to fire up, what will happen is they'll turn around and they'll walk off in the other direction, leading that gobbler out of that field on you, uh, taking him in exactly the opposite direction. So you just got to kind of play it by ear. If you offend that hen and she gets mad at you and she decides to turn around and walk away, there isn't anything you can do about it. I know I was hunting with Jason Cruz down in Tennessee, and I don't know how many times we went around that field and tried to get in on these birds. Uh, every time that we would get in front of them, I can't resist a call to a turkey a lot of times, so every time I get in front of them and I would, I'd throw a little yelp out there and those hens would turn around and start back across the field the other direction where we just came from and lead those gobblers with them. So sometimes it's just almost impossible, but I usually try to get those hens fired up and get them to come to me if I can. Clark Lawrence, if you had to put a number on it, how many turkeys have you killed in your career? I really can't put a number on that. Uh, I, I really don't know. I've been very blessed. I know that. I've harvested a lot of birds, and I wouldn't even want to try to put a number on that. Blake Trent, how do you get that little half cluck slash cut mixed in with a yelp? What you have to do is not worry so much about a yelp. When you're doing that, uh, in, between your, in between your clucks, if you really listen to a hen, all it is is just uh, the, the, the yelp hardly even breaks over. It's just kind of... Just kind of a little blow the air across the reed. I mean, all you're doing is getting the front end of that call when you're doing your cutting. All of a sudden, you put the front end of that call. I can tell you this much we as turkey callers cannot even come close to doing what hen turkeys could actually do. Uh, if you ever watched Pressure Gobblers by. Uh, uh, Denny Golvis, he's got a hen on there that's cutting so fast, and she puts she puts a little bit of a yelp in between some of her cuts every once in a while that just, it just blows me away. There's no way a human being can actually do that. A lot of people can come close, but we can't, we, can't, uh, we can't get where she's at. Mike Smallwood, how do you call to a tom on the roost? I usually like try to be fairly quiet. I usually like to just do some tree yelps. Um, you got to kind of feel the birds out. If you've got hens in that area and they're fired up and working, working on you, you know, they're calling back to you and getting aggressive and stuff like that, I like to mimic and do whatever the hens are doing in that area. If they're being quiet and, and stuff like that, I might try to do just exactly what they're doing and maybe try to raise that bar just a touch. What I try to do is I want to be the first hen that starts talking, and I want to get that gobbler's attention on me, if at all possible, and get him to come to me. Uh, that's not a foolproof thing. It doesn't work all the time, but I've been very successful doing it that way. Bob Smith, do you prefer a jig or a press when you're building calls? I've got a, I've got a jig that I use uh, to build a lot of my own calls because I use a, a slightly larger frame. My palette is a little bit bigger, and I have a medium frame is what I use uh, a lot of times. And I do have a, a press that is set up exactly like my jig as far as I have a dead stop on it. I know exactly how far to stretch those reeds uh, in each one of the calls to where they're exactly the same every time. So it really doesn't matter. Uh, my hand jig I use 
when I take it, when I go out of town, and I use it a lot of times when I'm use, uh, building out of medium frames because my die on my big press is not set up for that. Jason Walker, how do you get? How do you get when you your call from slipping when transferring from Yelps to Clucks back to Yelps without a pause? A lot of that has to do with the tape. I I like to use a little thicker tape. I know a lot of guys like the thinner tape on their call, but the thicker tape for me. It's a little bit rougher when you first start using that call, but once you get it seated up into your mouth and, and into your palate, once that call uh, gets to that point to where it actually has formed the roof, the thicker tape on there will actually put it in there and hold it a little bit better than what that softer tape will. Jim Martin, Billy, do you do any natural voice calling? If so, demo, please. No, other than the gobble, that's about it. What I did there just a few seconds ago. James Bubba Madden, in your opinion, what is the best way to call later season birds? A lot of times you have to back off. I, that's when I do do a lot of blind calling. Just slip in and try to do some of the softer softer yelps, maybe the scratching in the leaves, clucking and purring and things like that, to try to get them to come into you. That's where your scouting really comes in because uh, later in the season, the birds are starting to get quiet. See, your lesser birds aren't gobbling a lot of times, just your dominant birds. And a lot of times what you'll run into, there is no gobbling. And the reason I think a lot of times that is, the insubordinate gobblers, the lesser birds, quit gobbling because every time they go to gobbling, the dominant bird will come in and he'll whoop them. All right, well, the dominant bird quits gobbling because he's got the hens with him and he don't have any reason to gobble. So then what do you end up with? There is no birds gobbling. A lot of times, look for the sign and find out where they're where they're feeding at, where they're strutting at, where they're getting their water from, and where they're roosting at, and slide in there and don't expect to hear a gobble. I know a lot of guys don't like to hunt that way. A lot of guys say if they're not singing when they're coming into me, then I don't want nothing to do with them. And that's fine if that's what they enjoy. You know, if I, I mean, I enjoy that just as much as they do. But if the birds aren't gobbling, I will still go in and I'll set up like that and try to get that bird to come into me, whether he's gobbling or just drumming. Wade Browning, I've seen a lot of callers that utilize what I can best describe as a raindrop sound, but I can't seem to recreate it myself. Any of getting that tone from a mouth call? Yeah, the big thing with that is you need to try to stop that uh, top read. Um, a lot of people I hear try to do that, that kind of a call, and what they end up with is that top read will flutter just a little bit, and, and you'll lose that clearness. What you're looking for is that real clear, like this. You're looking for that real clear, uh, what you're calling a raindrop type clock, just a real clear clock, what a turkey does early in the morning a lot of times when they're sitting there on that limb. The whole key to that is to get that top read. Now, if you had a double read or a double read, no cuts at all in it, I bet you could get that call really, really easy. Kevin Anderson, do you ever use the key key in your spring hunts? Yes, I do. Uh, there's so many times that, uh, that I will try it. There's a few times that it has worked. It's not something that works all the time, but uh, depending on where you're at, I was hunting in Kansas one time with Derek Stallman, and that's one of the things that we run into. We had hunted uh, the night before, and we roosted two birds. We had them come in, and I wouldn't let Derek shoot because I thought there was too much brush uh, to get good focus on the camera. So we put them to roost that night, and we come back the next morning, and we set up that night before we had two hens decoys and we didn't have a gobbler decoy well the next day we set up with three hen decoys and a gobbler decoy and i told derek i said the big thing that we seen the night before is these two gobblers run another gobbler off and then they took the hens and brought them to roost with them 
and I believe we can get those gobblers out into this out into this field, and they see this gobbler, this lone gobbler decoy, full strut. I think they'll come running to him. Well, all of a sudden, all these hens in early in the morning start flying over our heads, and they spread out all over this pasture in front of us. But one hen began to do a kiki run, and when she did, all the other hens went running right to her. Now the gobblers haven't entered the field yet, and Derek told me he said he said do a kiki run, and I started kiki into this to this group of, of hens, and they all came down and got within about. Uh, well, we had our decoys, the first decoys, about 10 yards. And all these hens, there were seven or eight of them that was right there between us and the decoys. So now we've got all their live hens right there with us. And one strut and gobbler, plus our three decoys, three hen decoys. When those gobblers hit that field, I mean, they came running. And where do you think they went? Right straight to that gobbler. They wasn't going to have any part of that. This is the Kiki run. Hunter Berkeley, how do you gobbler yelp and cluck? You can do it on a you can do it on a box call. What I what I do on my mouth call is I try to hollow my mouth out a little bit more and try to get that deeper, hollower sound to get that cluck. And then also with the yelps. What I do to try to get that gobbler yelp. Uh, a lot of times a gobbler might only yelp with one yelp or he might yelp with three, four yelps. A lot of people think that that's exactly what a gobbler does every time, but realistically a gobbler will go ahead and I've heard an assembly yelp and do all sorts of different things. Andrew Moore, describe your favorite hunt you've been on. Our battery's getting low. <laughs> Our battery's getting low, so we're going to have to wrap it up here pretty quick. Uh, as far as my favorite hunt, there's been so many I really can't. I really can't say. I guess one of my favorite hunts was uh, some of my some of my favorite hunts has been with my daughters. I mean, those were some fantastic hunts. Uh, some of the most memorable, probably. Like that's that would be what I would say. Tim Sias, how long do you practice a day before a competition? Just joined, so sorry if I already asked. Not a problem. We I usually practice. I start off back in December, January, and there's some years if I'm struggling, uh, I won't stop from one spring to the next to the next uh, next January or February. We get ready to go to calling contest. Sometimes I'll I'll just keep after it all year long. But I also fall turkey hunt, so I'll definitely be hitting the calls. Uh, you know, after spring turkey season, I'll definitely be hitting them in October and part of November, and then go right on in and maybe do some bow hunting in December, and then get right on into practicing January and February to go to the Grand Nationals. Listen, guys, we're going to have to wrap this up. Uh, sorry to cut you all short if you didn't get your questions in. I didn't realize that we'd been on here for an hour, but my battery's running low on my phone. So the uh, main thing is that I can tell you is good luck with turkey hunting, and I hope this has been some kind of a benefit for you. I hope that you have a great spring, and if you're turkey calling in contest, I wish you the best of luck, and God bless.